Thanks for joining me. I'm Stacy, and I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head over to my website, stacysummero.com, for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. Hello there. I hope you are having fun listening to this as you're wrapping your presents or doing some Christmas baking. My family has always gotten our tree on Christmas Eve. We wait till the last minute um, and then we celebrate all 12 days of Christmas. So honestly, I'm not really in full swing for Christmas celebration. Just trying to keep that Advent prep going strong. You know what? It's so hard not to listen to Christmas music. It really does make Christmas all the more exciting though. I have been putting eggnog in my coffee though. I will make that confession. And The reason for that is because they don't sell it in stores after December 25th. So that's been such a nice treat. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to remind you real quick that I wrote a worksheet for Finding God's Will called How to Make the Right Choice. And I'd love to give it to you for free when you subscribe on my website. It's the fruit of my years of discernment so far in my life, both for religious life and for my other life choices. Um, And I also draw from some saints like St. Ignatius of Loyola, so it's good stuff. So go to stacysummerow.com, enter your email in that little box, and it'll be yours forever. Now to the episode. Sisters, sisters, there were never such devoted sisters. White Christmas, anyone? It's not many people who can say that they met their coworkers, who are nuns, on a TV show. You may have heard of a little thing that I did once uh, called the sisterhood, becoming nuns on Lifetime. Um, The Carmelite sisters for the aged and infirm were the first of the three orders that we visited on the TV show. So I stayed in touch with the sisters and they offered me a job with them, helping with their educational arm called the Avila Institute and also building their mission program from the ground up called Serving the Aged Lovingly Today, which we call SALT. So today I'm diving deep with Sister Peter Lillian de Maria and Sister Mary Donovan. Sister Peter is the director for the Avila Institute, so she's actually my boss, and Sister Mary is the vocation director for the Carmelite Sisters. You can hear in every sentence these ladies speak how fulfilling their lives as nuns really are. That's why I'm declaring this the myth-busting episode. Ever since I discerned religious life, I feel like I've been carrying around this secret that nuns are amazing, and you will see what I mean when you listen to this episode. Without further ado, let's get to it. Hello, sisters. Hi, Stacy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? We're good. We're out in the Midwest, or the West, as you can say. <laughs> right. You're in Kansas, right? We're in Kansas, traveling along. I haven't seen a tornado, nor have we seen Dorothy, but we're out here. You know, you know what I was thinking of, Sister Peter, this morning? I was thinking about the time we went through a hurricane together. Well, yeah, that wonderful uh, tropical storm, whatever it was. And we yeah. landed and didn't even know. People were telling us, oh, we're glad you got in before the storm. And we're like, what storm? And then they're right. Oh, boy, they're hunkering down. And we're like, well, what's happening? <laughs> I think we were like the last flight in. And I was thinking this morning, too, Sister Mary, about how you and I drove across, what was it, Ohio? in the snow and I was so sick and I was eight months pregnant I will never forget that that was so hard and you were you didn't want to drive because uh 
I, think I haven't driven, a, you know, a sufficiently in this country yet. And, you know, in Ireland, we drive on the other side of the uh, road. And so. they drive so beautifully, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she was scared in Ohio, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I made you drive. I was like, sister, I can't do it. And and you you rose the challenge. You were, you were really good. Well, yes, it was of a happy memory. <laughs> it is now. It's a good story. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are you two drinking? Well, uh, I'm drinking coffee. It doesn't exactly taste like Bewley's, but uh, uh, it's, it's quite good. It's quite what good. Is, what is Bewley's? Bewley's is uh, the coffee mainly that people drink in Dublin. Oh. Uh, a little bit lighter than the coffee here. But it's good. Oh, good. okay. Gotcha. Uh, and Sister Peter, you're not a coffee drinker, but I'm did I? Nope, I'm drinking my water. <laughs> That's fair. You can get water at a coffee shop, so that's fair. Yeah, I, I eat chocolate for my caffeine. Oh. Not that's, too much. Kit Kat, Kit Kat is our specialty. Yeah. Actually, I don't have any Kit Kats with me. I'm going to get some on our way home. <laughs> yeah, that's your traveling. When you travel, you like pancakes and Kit Kats, right? I had a pancake this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Just one? Just one, yeah. Wow, that's so self-controlled of you. Yes. <laughs> that's great yeah we've lived a lot of life together it's amazing to me that it'll come it'll be four years I think we're coming up on that I've been working with the Carmelite sisters mm-hmm. aren't we lucky uh-huh. we, we, have been. No, we have been very lucky thanks to Aww. all that you do for us I'm very grateful oh yeah. I'm you bring us into the 21st century and that we're going into the 22nd century with all this social media things and everything. We've we learned a lot from you. So thank oh, you. Well, thank you. I feel like I'm still catching up. I honestly feel like I'm an old soul compared to so many people in my generation. Um, but it's been really, it's been really awesome working, especially on the SALT program. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, serving the aged lovingly today, which we abbreviate as SALT, um, Sister Peter and I had started working on that early 2015 and Sister Mary joined us later that year. And so now we've been working on this program. Gosh, we're going into our fifth year, I guess, right? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's for women ages 18 through 40. They can come to serve alongside the Carmelite sisters for a week in one of the Carmelite homes. Um, I've seen a lot of lives change through it. And it's actually been really awesome to also that um, two young ladies from the program who we found on Instagram actually joined the Carmelites as postulants this year. Absolutely. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what callings have you received from God in your lifetime? And obviously you responded to the call to become Carmelite sisters. What did that look and feel like? And what are some of the other callings you've received? Um, well, the callings that I have received basically is yes, to be a Carmelite sister, but also uh, ministry-wise to be a social worker and a psychotherapist. And... Um, what did the call to religious life look like? Um, it was, uh, I remember I was 22. Um, I didn't quite understand it. Um, in one way, I was hoping that God would pick someone else, you know? Of course, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was kind of a little bit hesitant. Um, I was one of those who, uh, you know, unless God sends the uh, um, archangel uh, Gabriel to tap me on the shoulder and say, um, you know, I want you. Um, Discernment uh, took a long time. Um, I think I was, oh, let's see. uh, I think I was about 17 when I first uh, fell for call. 
Uh, but then um, I was kind of, it took me, as I say, until I was 22, the discernment process. Uh, part of me wanted to hear the call, part of me didn't want to hear, hear mm. the call. So there was a lot of ambivalence about the call. Mm -hmm. um, there also was uh, an excitement, um, but then there was also, who me? You know, can't you just uh, bother someone else? Uh, why are you calling me? And um, yeah, you know, it's it's the normal, I think, discernment process. Um, uh, what did it, I remember my sister saying to me, what, you heard a call? Are you hearing voices now? Um, you know, well, I remember her attitude was, I think we better go and have a drink. Uh, which we did, which we did. And um, my family didn't really, uh, my mother understood it, um, but my father didn't really know, you know, what is this, you know? It wasn't until he came and visited the community for my final profession that he really knew what uh, everything was about. Wow. And so they were very supportive of my call. Um, the hardest thing about my call was that I had to leave my country mm. and my family like Abraham for a foreign land, you know. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, there was a great element of excitement about it too. Mm. Uh, and when I look back, I now know that God was in it because if you knew me back in my 20s, I was a home bird and I still am a home bird. I didn't mm. want to leave home. Um, still very attached to home, which is Ireland. And um, but it was by His grace. Um, if I did not, uh, if I did it humanly, I wouldn't have been able to. So mm. there was a great gift in in the grace that I received at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because I think a lot of us kind of want to find our vocation and then to just kind of live happily ever after and. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work and a lot of struggle that comes with living out your vocation. And for you, this was the vow of obedience that's, that was coming into play um, when you went from Ireland to come to the United States. I remember, I think it was the year after you came, you had the background on your phone of, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like uh, Jesus holding a little lamb or something like that. And oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I remember you saying that you just felt so adrift and that you were trying to, you know, you were really struggling to, to adjust to being in the United States, but right. um, you were just trying to trust him in all of it. And it's good to hear you say that you feel like you've found your place now because um, there are a lot of moments of discomfort and it. it doesn't necessarily mean that something really is wrong. It just means God's stretching you and it's uncomfortable. Absolutely, and he does. If you say yes to him, he does tend to, to uh, stretch you. But in my office, I have this sign that says, the grace of God, uh, the, the call of God will never lead you where his grace cannot keep you. In mm. other words, you know, the grace is there, not, not before you take the step, but right as you take the step. Mm. And I think that's important to, to, to know that... Um, uh, we, we tend to think, well, you know, God is going to give me the grace now, you know, a, a day before or something. But sometimes he wants you to take that step and take the risk. And then his grace comes to support that decision. That's what I have found in my own life. Right, right. It's, um, it's stepping out in faith is mm -hmm. appropriately called that. Yeah. And now you're the vocation director for the Carmelite Sisters. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and, and as I said in the... 
a moment of weakness, I said yes. <laughs> no, not to mention we have a vow of obedience. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's that small, small technicality as well. Uh, Sister Peter, how about you? Well, I think my first call was uh, I really wanted to be a teacher, and I believed that that was going to be you know, where the Lord was calling me to take care of uh, young people. And it's mostly, I would say, uh, secondary school at the time. It was junior high and secondary. And I also loved science. So I was called to learning more and more about why things happened. I, I, loved, I loved learning. So I was very mm-hmm. fortunate in the fact that I had a wonderful family and my parents who helped all five of us go through college and to continue our dream of, of education. Now, what's interesting about that, I taught for two years, and it, during college, you know, I also um, had a little bit of an inkling of, gee, maybe what would religious life be like? And I also thought about it in high school, but I kept putting it back uh, behind me. I, I didn't really want to pursue it, and then sometimes I would get a little bit more serious and go on a retreat or something, and then I'd be pulled back into, oh, it would be nice to be, to be married. And, I, you know, I had myself pictured married to either a baseball player or um, possibly a doctor. Those are the two that I would. (laughs) That's your type, eh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so many a day I I enjoyed, you know, my college years and certainly enjoyed working in uh, during uh, college life, a, a couple little odd jobs here and there. But when I went into teaching, I enjoyed that very much. And I did continue to have that, inkling of, you know, there's more that you can be doing here and to help develop this relationship, which I always, you know, loved going to to church with my father and my mother. And especially my my dad used to go every day. He used to have this little ritual of of his prayer. And um, my mom and dad, you know, kind of instilled in that that call of our faith and and to understand the faith. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I, what I really found is that even though I love teaching, I had an opportunity to work with the elderly and I just enjoyed that very much. Mm-hmm. And I think what was really most important for me, the call was to the religious life first. I, I knew I wanted religious life. I knew I wanted to develop that relationship with Jesus. And I also knew that I wanted to in some way develop it in a way that brought me closer to him without any other distractions. Mm-hmm. And I continued to teach and begin to discern and became much more familiar with us, the Carmelite sisters, a healthcare community. And when you put that in perspective, I was a teacher. What was I doing in a healthcare community? Well, the Lord leads, you follow, let him lead the dance. And I have been very happy ever since that I entered our wonderful community. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are times that I look back and say, well, gee, if I had entered the teaching community, what would my life have been different? Mm. But I see where God's plan is. I ended up for the first maybe 20 years of my religious life um, ministering in our different long-term care facilities. And then I was asked to, um, well, I was appointed to become the director of the Adel Institute of Gerontology. And what is it? It's the education arm of the Carmelite Sisters. And it really began in 1988. So when I entered our community, there was no Apple Institute of Gerontology. So you let the Lord, you know, really lead the dance. You begin to dance with him and you find it's an absolutely wonderful journey. Amazing. Yeah, I I think it's so great that you ended up being a teacher anyway, that your gifts were not wasted. But you you also had to step out in faith and 
go where you felt led. And I like what you said about being um, a, a sister first before um, being a teacher, because I think so many of us define ourselves by our profession rather than by who we're meant to become. Um, how did you sort of reconcile, you know, I'm going into a healthcare community with, but I want to be a teacher? Well, I, I think I went in with a blind faith. I, I believed whatever was going to be. And when you, you know, when you enter, you're like, well, whatever is needed, I hope to be able to answer that. And I had no idea what that was going to be. Mm. It was total blind faith of, I hope and I pray that um, as I develop as a Carmelite and become closer to the Lord, the, the way will be just shown. And it has been. And there are things that I was asked to do Throughout my religious life, uh, the challenges that have come, I, I probably would have said to you, there's no way I'd be able to do something like that. Mm -hmm. But when you just blindly walk, letting yourself know that the Lord's hand is always there, you begin to see the wonderful opportunities that God calls all of us to. Right. And, uh, you just have to continue to say that yes, and that fiat. I think people think the fiat is at the beginning of when you say yes to the call, but that yes is a continued yes to all the things that come throughout your religious life. Amen to that. And for lay people too. In fact, m part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast was because I started to recognize after I discerned religious life that discernment does not end. And so it's not this one, like you said, it's not one fiat. It's it's a continual lifelong process of saying yes to God. And really, um, I like how you put it, letting him lead the dance. Did you feel like you had just found your home? Like you, you had found another family when you came to the Carmelite sisters or what like really attracted you and, and what gave you peace when you found the order? I think when you, I, I felt like I landed and, mm -hmm. um, in my, my family again, were uh, you know, we're very much in family faith, um, relationships with, you know, your friendships. And there was the Carmelite sisters when I came and I started to discern with them that's what I felt like. It was there was great amount of faith, obviously, but the, it, it felt like family right away. And in these friendships that you can form, that become uh, lifelong, mm -hmm. it was just evident right away. But I think what was so beautiful it was I was so attracted to the spirituality of the Carmelites too, and that really grounded me. And I, I you just get the sense of peace that you know. You get a little nervous thinking, I don't know, is this the right thing? But there's a sense of peace of saying, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm doing it. And right. Where this leads me. Right. And you have, what, seven years to decide whether or not you're actually going to take final vows? It's a long discernment process, right? But it's actually, what it is, is um, you have uh, 10 months of postulancy, and then uh, you have two years uh, of novitiate. And during that time, during the... Um, uh, postulancy, you actually uh, have um, six months of that where you're actually exposed to the mission of our sisters in one of our facilities. Mm -hmm. And that, again, helps with the discernment. Is this really for me? Mm, so you get to kind of live the life for about six months? So, uh, so uh, in all, it takes about, <clears throat> canonically, uh, it has to be five years after. Uh, you have to have five years of uh, first commitment or first profession and then so the whole lot takes about eight years wow yeah the and process is eight years so okay. uh, like I always say to people well look uh, I mean after eight years 
you you gotta know because <sighs> in marriage people don't get eight years. No, <laughs> different today. Uh, but um, those who opt for marriage, it, it takes uh, certainly you don't take eight years. You know. So. Oh yeah, John and I got engaged after five months. I, I think there's kind of this thought that like, oh, if I go to visit a convent, they're gonna suck me in and trap me, and I don't get to leave, and I don't get to like, I'm gonna waste my time, and nothing is further from the truth. I just want to really bust that myth because you go and you visit, you just live the life, you try it out for a weekend, you try it out for a couple weekends, you know, um, certainly like the SALT mission program, that's a great way to just come and live the life of a sister for a week for free with no, you know, no strings attached. And then you, even when you join, I mean, you have four postulants this year who are brand new and they get eight years to decide. Um, and, and I found that, you know, just even growing in relationship with the Lord, um, it, it wasn't until I discerned religious life that I really started to form a relationship that was trusting enough that I could actually give him my life no matter what he called me to. Um, and that was, you know, sitting in, in the chapel and doing that, that holy hour every morning and mass before the cameras showed up when we were doing the sisterhood. Um, which was the TV show that, that we did in 2014, having that holy hour and, and mass and really being able to hear his voice in my heart was, um, uh, it wasn't just, you know, here's, here's what I want you to do, you know, take this one path. It was, do, do you know how much I love you? And it was so much more about the relationship and, and letting him win me over before I even knew the answer to my vocation. So that's my... I think it's that great mm-hmm. faith that you had too, that mm-hmm. you just trusted by sitting before the Lord that you're, you're somehow going to hear that where he is leading you. And it, that reminds me too, like my, my parents, you know, their, their faith was so strong that no matter what happened, it was always, you know, you know trust the Lord, put it in God's mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my father, he, you know, he was so faithful to his, his daily little visit to church every day and, and my mother and her anything that came up on our way would always say well you know you got to trust God the mm-hmm. way she would say it so I think your sitting before the Lord just helped you to mm-hmm. be able to quiet yourself enough to let him in instead of saying I think I want to do this I think I want to do that maybe I'll do that you just quieted yourself which is so right. important, so I, think, important. I think there's also an element in, in myself and dealing with young people I think we live in a in an age where we want everything instant, yes. and I think I think also um, it doesn't work that way. That it, it's an actual there's an an actual organic process to it. There's mm-hmm. a, a process uh, that um, it unfolds, and I think for young people that can be kind of uh, they want to know now. They want they mm-hmm. want to plan. And I think um, that can be a little frightening, but I think that's where the element of letting go and letting God comes in. Yes. And and, and again, it's all about what I have found. It's all about relationship. And relationship, as we know, takes a lot of time. So it's about the developing that relationship. Uh, You know, that that prayer, prayer is not a, a feeling. It's a discipline. So it's mm-hmm. that it's that uh, discipline to um, letting go and and uh, allowing God to form us as He wants in His image and likeness. Often we form God into our image and likeness. Oh my so, gosh! Yes, um, putting him in, putting him in a box of our own making yeah, and thinking. Exactly. Well, God wouldn't want this. Well, how do you actually know? Yeah. You know, um, or thinking. Well, I don't want this. Well, maybe God wants that for you, and you just need to grow into that 
you know, mm-hmm. into that mm-hmm. desire um, yourself because our desires and our wants really change. And, um, you know, we really have to trust God. You're totally right in all of that. Um, actually, I, 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 as you said, praying is a discipline. I think that's really interesting. Could you tell me about the prayer life of a Carmelite? Because um, I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, I could never be a nun. I, I couldn't pray all day like that. So what would you say to somebody who said that to you? Everything you do really is a prayer. It's, a, it's like, um, as I said, it's more about being than it is doing. And for, for a lot of people, that's difficult. <coughs> Excuse me. For a lot of people, that's difficult because the yardstick by which we uh, kind of have our identity sometimes is about what we do rather than uh, who we are and how we are before the Lord. So prayer is a discipline in the sense that, um, you know, you, you have to show up, in other words, uh, show up and be there um, and just let the Lord do the rest. I often look at prayer as uh, like uh, being in, uh, you know, being at the beach in the sun, you mm-hmm. know, no matter what you're wearing, the sun is still there, the sun is still shining on you. Mm-hmm. And you're still getting the sun. It's the same with with being in front of the Lord. So it's more about discipline and not about what we do. Mm-hmm. It's more about just showing up and allowing the Lord to do what he wants to do in us. And I think what's beautiful about our Carmelite spirituality is that it, it's all about living in the presence of God. And I, and I think that when people think, you know, all we do is, you know, you spend all your time in prayer, I could never do that. You know, what would that be like? Um, you know, your whole day is being in the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So everything becomes your prayer. So it's, it's more of the fact that, yes, we have our community prayer together. We have our, our meditation that we have to do every day. We have our examine. But there are all, those are all parts of our life that allows us to develop that deeper relationship with God and emptying ourselves and letting him in mm-hmm. so that everything you do, anything at all, becomes a, a holy moment in the Lord's presence. Mm-hmm. And if you can see it that way, uh, praying all day, you're doing it already if you can understand that the presence of God is with you all day long. Yeah, that's beautiful. How long do you actually spend cumulatively in prayer? Because I feel like people are going to be like, well, what are the numbers? Like, <laughs> are you actually in the chapel or are you just... Well, we are in chapel together for our morning and evening prayer mm-hmm. for our rosary. Uh, we also come together for Eucharist. Mm-hmm. We um, have our time that we can do our meditation and we have to put in an hour. You know, we don't necessarily do that together, but we have an hour of meditation that has to be done every day. Okay. We have to do our particular examine. So the times that we're actually in church together would be the morning and evening prayer, rosary, and um, Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then for the hour of meditation, I know the hour, the idea of doing a holy hour every day was really intimidating to me at first because I was like an hour just sitting there. Mm-hmm. But over time, kind of like what you're saying, Sister Mary, it's a discipline. You just do it, and then you find that it really – um, it affects the rest of your day, and it really starts to make you feel more peaceful just in everything that you do. It helps put things in order, and then it feels like it's like better than taking a nap. Like your your mind gets to rest, and you get filled up, and you get peace. Um, and it takes some struggle before you get there. Uh, at least in my experience, um, I had to do it for weeks before I really understood. You know, before I really felt kind of like ready to sit for a whole hour and pray. But, um, but it really became something that was restful. It, it didn't become something that felt like, oh gosh, now I have to go sit and do nothing for an hour. 
Right, and 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 like Teresa Davila, her great saying is, you know, we just sit, uh, you know, in front of him whom we know loves us. Mm. And I think if if you can look at it that way, um, doesn't matter what you do in front of someone who loves you, you know, you lo- you know, you're loved and accepted. People have mm-hmm. problems with, um, well, oh, I get a lot of distractions in prayer, and um, you know, uh, I, I get, you know, I'm thinking of what I have to do and all that stuff. Well, that's kind of the part of us that that wants to. That's the ego saying, you know, I, I want to uh, accomplish, I want to do. So that's where kind of letting go and 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 letting God lead. I think that's that's mm-hmm. the important thing in prayer. Let Him lead. Distractions just offer them up. You know, the more you try and um, the more you try and stop uh, distractions, and the more you try and and uh, you know quieten them, the louder they get. Uh, as someone said, there, your thoughts become wild horses. Yes, and they do. Just have to just let it be. Mm. As I said, going back to the sun, uh, you know, shining on you. Um, you just the sun is there. You mm. know, the sun is there, and just. That's where it takes the, the the deep leap of faith to believe that God is there and mm. God is uh, uh, wanting the relationship with you even more so than you wanting it with him. Nice. And, you know, the hour meditation, it doesn't have to be that whole hour together. You can do 30 minutes and 30 minutes. And some of us, you know, might do 30 minutes in the morning and then 30 minutes in the evening. Mm. But it's you know that that's, that's time we're going to set aside that's just you and the Lord, mm. wherever that's going to bring you and to know you're just sitting there and not having to say anything. As Mother Angeline said, sometimes it's just sitting before the Lord and not saying a word. Yeah. Just because he's your spouse. He's the one that you're married to. And do I have an hour of quality time with my husband every day? Most days, it's just not able to happen. So that is really actually a gift of religious life. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than like something that can drag you down, even though I think to a lot of us, we're really scared of quiet. Um, but once you sort of discover the, the power of it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So what else do you love about your Carmelite spirituality? What does that look like in practice in your daily life? Well, I also think too, that the fact that we have that time to meditate on, you know, on the word of God and, and having the Eucharist in our life every day, but uh, our, our spirituality calls us to, to be, as Sister Maria has said earlier, you know, it, it's just to be present. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is one of the most wonderful things that we can do for each other, to be present before the Lord and bring that presence to, uh, to the people we serve, the people we work with, to be able to be examples of our prayer. I, I think as Carmelites, mm-hmm. if we are in deeply involved in understanding and knowing our prayer and being a part of the prayer and doing our prayer, then our action should just stem from that. And, you know, there are times I know I fall short and I, I probably am hurried and rushed and I'm, I'm being my human self. And then I know that's because I probably haven't taken the time I needed to slow down and be with the Lord today. Mm-hmm. So I think our spirituality calls us to be present, to understand the scriptures, take time to meditate on them and to be totally present to the Eucharist uh, and to know that that is a, very big part of who we are as Carmelites. Mm. But you are also very active at the same time. So you're not a cloistered order. You're out in, you're doing a lot. I mean, I've, I've, uh, Sister Peter, I cannot keep up with you. And I was, you know, a 20 something and you were 
going from meeting to meeting all day and you're just able to, you know, you have such energy. Um, Sister Mary too, you're doing so much as the vocation director. So it's not like you're, you're literally sitting, but you're, you're taking this, this piece with you into all of your activities and, and letting it kind of flow through all of that because you are, you know, you're running um, essentially like a big corporation of, of 20 nursing homes. You know, it, there's a lot to be done. Um, well, but I think that's, that's why we're more, um, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, contemplatives and active. Okay. You know, that's, that's the part, uh, like if we were uh, enclosed, we probably, if we were the enclosed Carmelites, we would be more um, of the contemplative, but we have both. Right. And I think uh, the, the um, struggle to- sometimes is to balance between the contemplative uh, nature and the active. And I think mm-hmm. that's up to each individual, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about your charism? And a charism, by the way, is is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and it's lived out in, in religious life as kind of a, a set of values uh, of, um, would you call them values that you strive yes. to exemplify? Yes. Okay, great. So tell me a little bit about your charism as a Carmelite. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sister Mary's choking here, so I'm laughing at her. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh no, is it the coffee? <laughs> I think yeah, I think it's the coffee. I don't know what it is <laughs> making me laugh, but anyway, you know, we have um, certainly our charism is to be very hospitable to the people we serve and the people we certainly work with. And we have that, um, that hope to see the person um, that we are caring for. We see Jesus in every person that we're caring for. And in knowing that um, Mother Angeline taught us to be totally focused on what we can do to make this elder's life more most comfortable is what we should be doing. And she was a, a woman way before her time. We certainly had our Carmelite, uh, she brought our Carmelite values to us, but she in her own way taught us the importance of caring for each person as an individual and not to say, oh, the old people need this, the elderly people need this. No, each person is still a unique human being who has all kinds of needs and wants and we are to look at each and every one of those. And I think in this day and age when people look at elders as, you know, why bother? Uh, They're Mm. sucking up all the resources that are out there they're taking, they're going to be dying anyway. Why do we have to do so much for them? Assisted suicide isn't such a bad idea. Mm. It's in this day and age that we are so badly needed to help people to understand the respect and the love you should have for our elders. And throughout the gospel, throughout the Old and New Testament, you see that that is certainly uh, something the Lord, he himself taught us and that our elders are, are, are the ones that we have to be grateful for who have given us all that we have today. Mm-hmm. So I think the values of our charism certainly speak out to each and every person that they're their own values. And they there is a way that we do it in our Carmelite life that allows us to answer that call that Jesus has asked us to do, and that is to uh, extend his healing mission. And, you know, it goes back to 2,000 years ago that mm-hmm. we're doing Definitely. Yeah, it's something that I think a, a lot of young people don't really think about is 
um, the end of life, we certainly don't like thinking about it. And, you know, we all see our grandparents aging, but um, to, to give dignity, I think it was Mother Angeline, the, the founder of the Carmelites, who said, I believe, to, to clasp the hand of an aging person and give dignity to the autumn of their life, or was it to give meaning to the autumn of their life? Yes. Give meaning. Yeah. And then it's mm-hmm. that sanctity of life that's so important that every human being um, life has purpose and has meaning. Mm-hmm. I can definitely attest to the the hospitality part of your charism. Whenever I come to the convent, it's been a little while, of course, since I've come now because I've been busy having babies and everything. But <laughs> when I used to come to the convent uh, for my work with the Avila Institute, every time I would see a sister, the question was, oh, oh, is it warm enough in your room? Do you need towels? Do you need um, meals? Do you have you eaten? Do you need tea? Do you need coffee? And by the time I actually made it up to my room, I, I probably had said, you know, 15 times, no, thank you. I don't need anything else. And, <laughs> and there have been multiple times where I'm like, if another person asks me if I need anything, <laughs> which, <laughs> which speaks well for the hospitality of your order. Um, Great. So what is something that you love about being a sister that you did not expect to love before you entered? I think for me, um, I love my work. And it, it, it seems that you get such energy from that ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly love the fact that I get to meet so many interesting people mm-hmm. and that have touched my lives in so many different ways. I, I, can, I can honestly say they... They have given me so much, much more than I've ever given back to them. But I, I know for sure that um, every day, you know, I can get up and say, oh, no, another day. Or I can get up and say, oh, wow, another day. This is going to be exciting because it, it, it's always exciting, uh, sometimes challenging. And you're like, I don't think I want that challenge. I'd rather pick another one. But um, it's just I just love being able to have so many opportunities to serve God's people every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, I think um, also, uh, I think what, what really has given me great joy um, is the, um, you know, being able to share my faith with others and they share journey, you know, sharing their journey. And uh, sometimes I think it's such a, uh, what is it? it's such a privilege and uh, also uh, I feel like a, a, a midwife in my work, actually, because hmm. uh, I'm actually bringing souls to birth many times hmm. uh, and uh, in my journey with them. And it's, it's an awesome experience. And wow. that gives me tremendous joy. Right. It was a huge epiphany for me that nuns are life givers. They aren't um, kind of... Uh, sterile and cranky, you know, but, but we are all called to be life givers in whatever vocation the Lord calls us to. So I love that image of a midwife, actually. I'll tell you something funny. Once uh-huh. I had, uh, I worked in, a, in a, a Jewish community of elders and there was 300, uh, it was a daycare and there was 300 uh, elders attending. And um, I remember my supervisor saying to me, you have destroyed every stereotype I had about being a sister, she said to me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I want to keep busting those stereotypes because they're just not true. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, she had, she, she had um, uh, an image, I think, of the non-story or something like that. Mm, mm-hmm, right. Uh, so it took ages to, to break down that stereotype, but she was to- totally... 
uh, flabbergasted that uh, I was not what her stereotype uh, mm -hmm. was to her. Yeah, you all honestly laugh way more than pretty much everyone else I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which that's is great. That's well, what that's keeps, it, you say. You that's what keeps us young. You <laughs> <laughs> that's why Carmelite women look so good for their age. Exactly. If you're living this life, you'll never make it without a sense of humor. Right, absolutely. You have to have a sense of humor and you have to laugh many times during the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I love that um, they put that quote in the sisterhood of yours, Sister Peter. I you know. said, you said, uh, what was it? You were like, Carmelite women look so good for their age because they know how to take care of themselves. And then you burst out laughing. Um, oh, man, like, that was great. Actually, that, I knew I was going to get it from the sisters because I, I, you know, I kind of paused and thought, well, why, why do we look so young? Do we? <laughs> you do. Yes, you do. But I, I didn't, that wasn't really how I was going to answer that, but that's what came to mind. And that's what they printed. And well, I, they used, I guess I should yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, final question for you, Sister Peter. What was your favorite moment of filming The Sisterhood Becoming Nuns? My favorite moment? Oh boy, yeah. there were some interesting moments, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Lots. Lots. Remember when the ducks started um, attacking, was it Ricky, the duck? And he was attacking uh, down at... Um, don't blame poor Ricky, maybe it wasn't him. Oh, <laughs> 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 <Aww, laughs> poor Ricky. Mm -hmm. We had some really good times, so. I have to say, um, it just, I don't know. I, I can't say I have an actual favorite moment because it was, it was interesting because it was not something that I've ever, ever dreamed in my million of years of my life. <laughs> I would have been a part of that. Um, mm -hmm. But it really did open my eyes to many other ways of looking at things from certainly the five of you that were a part of that. Mm. Uh, time. So uh, it, I think, you know, just being with you was uh, you and the others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Did you have a favorite moment? <laughs> um, let's see. Did I have a favorite moment? Christy came over to us. We were helping volunteer um, to, I forget exactly what we were doing. I think we were just hanging out with the residents at one of the homes. Um, she said she had offered a lady a glass of water, one of the residents. And the, the resident looked at her and she said, sometimes you're dressed, sometimes you're undressed. But either way, here you are. And we all thought long and hard about that, that saying, and it made less sense to us every time. But it just became this thing that we would say all the time. So um, we would say, like, are you hungry? Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes you're not hungry. But either way, here you are. And that has become just something that I, I don't know. Um, uh, I was telling one of my friends about it, and it just became this big thing in my life for like years. Because <laughs> I told all my friends about it, and my friend came back to me, and he was like, "What was that thing you were telling me? Sometimes you're here, sometimes you're not here, but either way, you're not dressed." <laughs> like, no, no, Luke, that's not it. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking with you, and you know, we'll chat again soon. God bless. Okay. Thank yeah, you. That was right. great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, aren't they just delightful? I've linked to the Carmelite Sisters website and to the SALT Mission program in the show notes. If you gained insight from this podcast that can help you in your spiritual life, please be a friend and pass it on to someone who you think could also benefit from it. You guys, I've been so, so enjoying this podcast, and I sincerely want to serve you through it. Thank you so much to every person who has reached out with comments and questions. I wish that I could tell you how much it means to me. 
please ask me your questions. Join the conversation about discernment and let me know how I can serve you. Get in touch with me through my website, stacysummero.com, and I'm so looking forward to hearing from you. Have a blessed Christmas, and I will see you in the new year.